The following content is strictly designed for the enjoyment of a mature adult audience. Headphones are recommended as these stories are recorded in left-to-right dimensional stereo. Make sure you listen to this episode so you don't miss all this. I heard him spit on his cock, but he didn't need to. I was already so fucking wet. If you feel that way after 50, 60, 70, you know, you're, you're just a sort of perverted old clone. But this kiss was different, slow and exploratory, as if we were tracing the contours of each other's souls. Hello, erotica connoisseurs. This is Angelica, and you're listening to All the Filthy Details, the Erotica Communities podcast. So, before we start, the team want to give out a massive shout out to Christian Pan for his consistent support, which is exemplified by another consistent pulse session. This month, he's speaking to Catherine Hiller, the author of Sybil Unbound. We've got so many great things in this episode to look forward to, including an interview with our star recommendation winning guest, Anton J. Pierce. We have also have a glimpse of the epic work in progress, Derek Andre's Enchantress, Filth, the erotic book review, and more. Let's start the podcast with a partial chapter from All For Her, written by Melanie Russell, Our bratty protagonist gets a visit from her admirer. This is a partial story for all the filthy details. Head on over to the Patreon for the full audio. Links are in the description. You stand at Skylar's door like a dog locked out in the rain. In your arms, you carry takeaway food that costs you more than two days of food back home. But for Skylar, it's worth it. You've already knocked at the door and heard her call out just a minute. But you know she's in no rush. After your last encounter with the goddess herself, you know just how little she thinks of you. Part of you wonders why you remain at her beck and call, spending your own money on her food. Yet a part of you knows it's exactly because she thinks so low of you. It's powerful, alluring, and all you want to do is appease her, gain her approval, and you find yourself totally unfazed by the depravity such a task will require. The door swings open. Skylar, whilst radiant and stunning, has clearly had a big night out. Her posture is unsteady, her mascara has run, and her eyes are glassy. Her clothes are disheveled at best. She smiles and hiccups and waves you inside, relieving your hands of the bag of takeout food. Thanks, she mumbles, taking it to the small table in her hotel room. I've been out dancing and drinking. I'm so hungry and my feet hurt. You sense an opportunity to rise to the occasion, to impress her. You've brought her food and helped her in the intoxicated state she is in. You wonder if she will see your value now. Do you want me to rub your feet? You ask, almost pathetically. She looks curiously at you as she cracks open the first container of takeout. A wry smile spreads across her face, and she kicks her legs out from under the table. You want to massage my feet, huh? She asks still bearing that coy grin. You said they hurt. They do. She nods tiredly. Go on then, take my shoes off and get to work. You scurry to the floor below her, and she regards you with a stare that says, right where you belong. 
You take her high heels in your hand and slowly pull them from her feet. You can tell she's been partying hard. Her feet are sweaty and humid, and the smell is a little potent. Nevertheless, you offered to rub her feet, and so you do. You take the ankle of her left foot in one hand and begin to work your thumb into the soft skin, whilst she practically ignores you in favor of her late-night dinner. Her legs are wide open, and you can't help but stare. Her panties have been torn at the crotch, only held together by a few fibers now. Something white and creamy has dried on her perfect, delicate skin. She catches you staring, and her smile grows wider. His name was Miguel, she teases. A big, broad stallion of a man. He barely spoke a word of English, but I knew what he wanted, and I gave it to him. Oh, you whimper. I'm glad you had fun. Oh, it was so good, she breathes. He took me around the back of the club and spread me like a cheap whore. He was massive, Jeffrey, so much bigger than that tiny pindick you've got. A real man, she said with her mouth half full. You quietly groan, staring at her feet as you rub them. You try not to imagine Skylar being split in half, but such a man. But you can't help it, nor the sense of inadequacy that follows. He took what he wanted, she recounted. He bent me over a table, tore my panties, and drove himself into me, and I begged for it. I craved it. Oh, it felt so good to be fucked like that. He pulled my hair, grabbed my ass, ravaged me like nobody had ever ravaged me before. You can tell Skylar is growing aroused at the thought. The smell of her bare, creamy pussy has started to penetrate your nose. He was so thick, like a beer can. And the way he grunted, Wait, are you hard? You shake your head and shuffle uncomfortably. No, you meekly reply. Prove it, then. She folds her arms. Take off your pants and show me your cock. Now. You feel a shiver run down your spine and nervously stand up to obey her. You fumble your belt and remove your trousers. And your underwear. Show me that pathetic pecker of yours. You hesitate, but eventually comply. Your cock, as feeble as it is, stands stiff, dripping with arousal. You're getting off on this, aren't you? Thinking about me being fucked long and hard by a real man? No. You desperately lie. You so are. You pathetic little cuckold, she teases. I bet you'd love to sit in the corner and watch Miguel fuck me all night long, huh? You'd love it if he shoved his big, fat cock right up my ass. You remain silent, but both you and Skylar know the answer. No words needed. Go on, then, she smiles. Touch yourself while I tell you all about it. You appear frozen, unable to obey or refuse. No need to be shy, cucky boy. I know you enjoy it. Long, slow strokes. And get on your knees. You finally move, as if on autopilot, and drop to your knees before her. She spreads her legs wide and pulls her dress to her waist. You can see, clear as day, exactly what Miguel had done to her. You feel a shiver of humiliation, inseparably mixed with arousal. You touch yourself, just as instructed. Long, slow strokes. You can't move your eyes from her sex. Good boy, she purrs. So pathetic. You nod and your heart is thudding in your throat. So, as I was saying, Miguel took me behind the club, 
There was a table and chairs. Without saying anything, he pushed his lips onto mine and jammed his tongue down my throat. I could taste his drink on him. Then, he bent me over the table, his legs stepped around mine and pulled them wide. I heard him unzip his fly and felt his huge, dripping cock against my ass. As Skylar tells her story, you find yourself filled with ultimate desire and lust. You stroke your inept cock, gently masturbating as she details her impassioned defiling. I heard him spit on his cock, but he didn't need to. I was already so fucking wet. Skylar's hand slides to her nether, and the room fills with soft, wet sounds as her fingers play rough with her cunt. I screamed as his tip pushed inside. I stretched so wide it made me shake. He grabbed my ass with one hand and pulled my hair with the other and drove himself deep inside me. Oh, Jeffrey, he felt so good. So fucking good. Your hand has become slick with your premature dribblings. Your breath is shaky. He fucked me so hard against that table, and I screamed so loud. He swore in his own language, Italian, I think. I have no idea what he said, but as he did, I felt him fill me with his cum. It was such a big, thick load. He was growling like a wild beast, filling me up with his manliness. And then he slapped my ass, called me a whore, and left. You whimper. To you, Skylar is a goddess. To hear of someone being so disrespectful of her makes you equal parts horny. The uninterrupted audio can be found on our discreet Patreon channel. We love that for thousands of our listeners, we're your go-to place to listen to top-quality erotica. However, we acknowledge that our full explicit audiobook library belongs behind an age-restricted paywall. So, we use Patreon in conjunction with familiar apps like Spotify and SoundCloud to house our premium content. And for a fraction of the cost of an audiobook subscription with the online giants, you'll get access to everything in our library. Rather than a single redeemable credit. You can cancel at any time, and it costs about the same as a single ebook. Find the link in the description and join us today. You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> Hot erotica to look out for. Eagle Eye by Christian Pan. Meet Ivy, teacher, mother, wife, dissatisfied. But through a series of sexual adventures between Princeton and Paris with individuals and groups, Ivy will learn more about herself and what she really wants. Eagle Eye. Available in print and ebook. A young writer, Jessica Seeks, has been chained to a desk in a mirror wall dungeon and made to write erotica for the pleasure of a mysterious stranger. The man behind the mirror. Her book, Mirror Secret Mirror, has just been published. You can find it on Amazon, Apple, and all major ebook retailers. It's available in both print and digital formats. Get your copy now to read the next big thing in erotica before everyone else. Out in the Night by Eleanor Nix Becca's house is being watched at night by her suspicious neighbour. He's abrasive and captivating. Her life has been chaotic since he arrived with an orphaned kitten. Despite trying to keep her distance, she's plagued by mysterious warnings and seductive dreams. He refuses to let her escape. All links to these books can be found in the description.
You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> Erotica connoisseurs, it's time to introduce you to our special guest. Our latest star recommendation winning guest and the author behind the marvelous Neighbors, The Beach Trip, Anton J. Pierce. Hello, Anton. Hi there. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Last month, we reviewed your impressive debut title, Under This Pen Name. But for those discovering for the first time, how would you describe your style? Well, first of all, thank you for all the kind words. Um, At least for this first book, I would describe it as character-driven realistic fantasy. Uh, That may sound like words that don't really mean anything when strung together that way, but what I'm... What I'm after, at least for this book, is believable characters and potentially real-life situations that have a ton of sex along the way. Um, And while the sex helps drive the story, it's not the only point of the story. Um, I do have um, some ideas for some more fantastical or genre-specific stories for later, uh, but the next few books will be in the same vein. We understand that you've written under other pen names. How do those works differ from this? I did publish a mainstream novel earlier this summer. Uh, Without going into too much detail, imagine if the commitments were from a U.S. college town instead of Dublin, and they got back together to do a benefit show 35 years after Wilson Pickett failed to show up at their gig. Uh, I'm actually quite proud of it. Um, There are a lot of similarities in the way I approached both novels, uh, fully fleshed out characters with growth arcs. Uh, One just has a lot more explicit sex than the other. Uh, I could easily have done my mainstream novel as erotica, and frankly, it would have been pretty awesome. Um, And I really appreciate the positive comments about having well-rounded female characters. I try really hard, whatever I'm writing, to create real-seeming people and then put them in interesting situations. Uh, There may not have been a lot of serious conflict or surprises in the beach trip, but there will be a few more twists and turns in the, the next couple of books. There was actually a scene in one of the erotica stories I I was working on that I stole from my mainstream novel, uh, just without the ensuing sex, and it worked really well. I'm actually finding it useful to have works in progress in, in both genres to keep my thinking fresh. We may have this wrong, but we understand you're a huge fan of other creatives, such as movie makers. Have you ever been inspired to write by the movies you've seen? I don't know that I can think of a movie that has directly inspired a particular scene or setting. Uh, My mainstream novel was primarily influenced by many decades of living in a southern college town with a vibrant music scene that I've been peripherally a part of. Uh, But movies have definitely informed how I write, how I pace the stories, how I introduce new characters. I've not really studied story beats and how to use them. I think I've just seen so many good movies and read so many good books that it comes somewhat naturally. I will say that filmmakers like James Gunn just blow me away. He can write the most absurdly over-the-top, violent, crazy stuff and still create characters that you care about, that have pathos and heart and joy. Um, I've got a work in progress that'll be much darker than The Beach Trip, verging on erotic horror, and I'm hoping I can pull off something like he does uh, when, when even the dark or evil characters are working from motives that are, are understandable. Beyond movies, the cover art from the Greenleaf Classic series of 
dirty books from the late 60s and through the 70s has actually directly influenced some of my writing uh, as much as the actual stories. The beach trip, in some ways, is a, a modern retelling of the suburban swap parties from those books, and as and as beholden to the artwork of Robert Bonfils and uh, Tomas Canizzaro as anything else. Um, there's a, a wonderful index of of Greenleaf imprints on the web with the cover art that's definitely worth spending some time with for inspiration. Most people fall into the trap of writing the same dull erotica cast. But in your book, Neighbors, you shake up the narrative, allowing older couples to take the lead. What inspired this book for you? I found the comments about writing older characters really interesting, as I honestly hadn't really thought about it in those terms. They were the right age for the story I wanted to tell. Um, The two main couples range from mid-30s to early 40s, which just seemed the right age to be able to afford a big beach house on the Outer Banks for two weeks in season and to be at a point in their careers that they can take a couple of consecutive weeks off. Here in the States, we do not do vacations right, and uh, a two-week vacation is not all that common. Uh, the, the next novel I'm working on actually has a protagonist that's pushing 50 when the story begins, so we'll see how that goes. He's recently both been divorced and laid off from his job, so he's moved into the same neighborhood from the beach trip um, and is working odd hours from home as a consultant, which gives him opportunities to get out during the day and get to know his neighbors, with sexy consequences, of course. Uh, w- when I search for erotic novels online, it seems like the ones that pop Uh, to the top of the list are primarily hot wife stories and alpha male daddy fantasies. Nothing wrong with either of those, but that's not really what I'm interested in writing, at least not now. Um, While there's definitely some age gap action in the beach trip, it's not played for that. We have a couple of younger women that are having sex with the two older couples because they've gotten to know them a little bit, and I think they admire them. I, I'm, I'm sure most people in their early 20s are still firmly convinced that people in their 40s don't have sex anymore. I'm pretty sure I thought that at that age. And I do want to add, I'm astounded when I read a younger author write a really good book with deep character studies. I could not have written anything like that until I'd lived a lot more life. So kudos to them. I, I, I think I know a little now about what motivates people and, and how they might act in different situations, but I'm not sure I could have written believable characters when I was in my 20s. What do you look for in a good book when you're reading? So I've read mostly science fiction and fantasy since I was a, a pretty small child. So world building is important to me. Uh, That's even important in all fiction. We all come from different places, and some people aren't all that well-traveled. So you have to assume that at least part of your audience is not going to know the context unless you build it for them. So Dune, Lord of the Rings, Julian May's uh, Pleiocene Exile books all do world-building right. But even if you're writing, say, a realistic political thriller, you have to build that world for people that are not political junkies or who don't know much about London or D.C., I want relatable characters when I'm reading. They, they don't all have to be good or lovable or brilliant, but their actions have to make sense in the context of the story. Uh, pacing is important. Uh, I have friends that absolutely love A Game of Thrones and, and the Wheel of Time novels, and I found them both to be boring as hell. You can be slow, but don't be boring. Uh, when it comes to erotica, I want passion. It 
doesn't have to necessarily be big, noisy, and thrashing, although that's fun too. The tension and anticipation of quiet passion can be just as arousing. Um, I enjoy reading a lot of things that I wouldn't necessarily write myself. Uh, for example, well-written BDSM stories can be great, but I'd never in a million years try to write them because I don't know the rules. And that's a genre where if you get the rules wrong, the story's ruined for your reader. Um, while what I've written so far is pretty realistic, um, occasionally I'll dive into something that's completely off the wall with ridiculously oversized boobs and cocks and outrageous sex that goes on for hours. When that sort of thing's done well, it's glorious. And I'll say that writing good sex scenes is hard. So when I find somebody that can describe sex in a unique way, that conveys that feeling, that anticipation, that passion, and do it in a way that isn't just describing where body parts are or, or how they're moving against or within another, that that's the really good stuff. What was your writing process for this book like? Did you have to do a lot of research? Did you base some of this on real-life experiences, like a beach trip of the past, for example? I find it a little funny that I first started writing and publishing on Literatica in order to teach myself to write dialogue, which is not something you always associate with erotica. And I found that writing dialogue comes pretty naturally to me. So that was a, a bit of unusual research or, or pre-work, you might say, for the novel. But but to better answer your question, the, the settings for the book were primarily from personal experience. My wife and I have spent a ton of time on the North Carolina Outer Banks. In fact, we're taking an off-season writer's retreat week in December out there. So the description of the beach house was an amalgam of a number of places that we've stayed over the years. Terry's work issues that delayed their trip and then intruded on their vacation came from working many decades in the IT world. It was completely true to life. And I don't think I've ever taken a vacation of more than a day or two that wasn't interrupted by work. The Neighbors series is set in an unnamed college town in the southern U.S., and I've spent most of my adult life living in a similar one. It's not my neighborhood, and these aren't my neighbors, but the setting is, is really home for me. Uh, the rest, I think, was just people. I'm an avowed people watcher and listener. My wife tries really hard to block out conversations around us when we're at a bar or a restaurant, but I just can't. So I absorb it, and what I hear may eventually end up in a story. You've all been warned. What are you working on next? And do you think we'll see the cast of Neighbors again in future books? So I'm planning to finish and publish a second erotica novel before the end of the year. Uh, it'll be set in the same neighborhood, but with different characters. I've got at least four books in the, the Neighbors series planned out, and the last one will bring back the couples from the beach trip together with folks from the other novels. Uh, the final one will likely be narrated by Carrie or Christie instead of Terry. Um, I'd already planned on that, but I've been very encouraged by the positive feedback uh, for my female characters, so that's becoming a definite. Honestly, I've probably got the basic outlines for a dozen novels sketched out, some in the realistic fantasy vein like this first one, and others that are getting into darker, more fantastical areas. Uh, one poor guy gets inhabited, not possessed, inhabited by a demon and has to find a way to feed its needs while curbing its more terrible requirements. I published bits of that on Literatica and got a really good reception. Uh, so that'll be coming out sometime in the, in the future. 
Uh, and I'm also working on another mainstream novel as a sequel of sorts to the first one. If it weren't for the necessary day job, I'd be a lot more prolific. After decades of saying that I wanted to write but didn't have anything to write about, I'm suddenly full of ideas but just don't have as much time as I'd like. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to retire from my day job eventually and focus more on writing. But in the meantime, I promise to get the next neighbor's novel out before the end of the year. Can we get an exclusive preview of something unreleased you're working on? Well, of course. The working title of the next novel is Neighbors, Wives, and the Night. That's night with a K. Our protagonist is nearing 52 years out from a di- both a divorce and from being laid off. He's bought a house back in his college town, and he's working as a technical project manager for hire. He finds himself working early in the morning with folks from India and into the evening with teams from the U.S. West Coast. So he takes a long break in the middle of the day to get out and exercise and clear his head. And that's where he starts to meet some of the neighbors and starts to get involved in their lives, including helping out a couple of damsels in distress. Uh, That leads to a bit of a white knight complex that another neighbor finally skewers in a very nice way. Um, And of course, there's tons of sexy sex along the way. There's a follow-up novel where our boy Jim falls in love with the stepmother of one of his neighbor friends, which leads to all kinds of complications. And finally, we'll get to Neighbors, the book club, which will bring some of the characters from each of the first three books together. Uh, And then we'll see what comes next. How can we follow you on social media? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Anton J. Pierce, all one word. And, of course, you can also follow me on uh, Amazon as well. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> it's time to introduce you to Filth, the Erotic Book Review. Welcome to Filth, the erotic book review. We are the home of the highly debated prestigious erotica award, the Star Recommendation. Today, we are thrilled to present three books by three different authors. Our team, along with our latest Star Recommendation winner, will thoroughly analyze and critique these works. These authors have eagerly awaited our feedback for almost a month, so let's not delay any further and begin the show. This is Forbidden Awakenings by Katie James. I need to make Amy come. Could you hold her the way you did me? I want her to get a taste of what that feels like. I sat up a little, the feeling of being on the verge still very real. Amy turned to face me. Only if you want to. I nodded and she leaned and kissed my neck, nuzzling my ear. I knew why she didn't just kiss me on the lips, and impulsively, I grasped her and kissed the edge of her mouth, nuzzling her back. I felt my pussy run with pure lust as I got a tiny hint of tangy sweetness, and I had to press my hand to my tummy to quell the orgasm I could feel building. My face must have said it all because Amy giggled and lay beside me. 
I slid down a little and waited for her to back into me. Selina had rolled away and was already working her way up Amy's legs with wet kisses. I am so ready for this, Amy whispered to me. You can lay on me if you like, I said. You won't squash me. Are you sure? I nodded and Amy moved on top of me. Her body moulded into me with a bit of pressure and my eyes rolled back as her soft, cool bottom found my heat-laden pubis. She whispered to me, You are so wet. Mmm. Two hands pressed onto the bed, either side of us, and I could feel Selina down between my legs. She started licking Amy, who responded with jerks and groans. Occasionally, Selina's hair would brush my inner thigh, and as Amy's bum rubbed against my pubis, I shuddered and my clit gave an involuntary tingle. Amy sensed me through her rapidly escalating pleasure. Pull the clasps out of my, ah, hair, would you, Bethy? Grateful for a distraction, my heart beating loudly, I went to work on Amy's hair and gently pulled out the clasps and a couple of pins and dropped them on the floor. I let down her hair, and she gasped as Selina continued to lick and tongue her pussy. Stroke me, Beth. I like that. I started to caress her, working down from her head, neck and arms, then up her tummy to her ribcage. Oh, yes. Don't stop. I let my hands roam her soft skin and turned my head to nibble her earlobe and neck. Soft moans escaped her upturned mouth. My fingers flitted over her tiny breasts, finding the delicate buds. I rubbed them as I had Selena's, flicking and teasing, and Amy started to rock up and down on me. Selena's breath laboured, and I kept up my stimulation, one breast at a time, then both together. Selena's hands moved Amy's thighs further apart, and I moved mine with them. I flexed and tensed at her touch. Then I felt her as she brushed the soaked material of my panties. Fresh heat coursed through me as I realised something. Lena? Hmm? Lena, am I okay being there? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, can you see... Selena lifted her head, panting a little. Ah, Beth, darling, it's fine. And yes, I can see your knickers, but that's all if that's what you want. For the time being, yes, Lena. But it is tempting. She dove back down, eyes sparkling. Amy groaned as she resumed and I carried on playing with her breasts. Once more, she began grinding herself up and down. I imagined Selena's mouth on her pussy and found myself wanting to know what it felt like too. Amy began to pant. Oh, I'm coming! I... Selena reached up and gripped my hands hard over Amy's writhing torso as she stayed in between Amy's legs. I could feel my pussy, slick and hot, and a pulse rose from my clit. A giant wave built inside me, and I gripped Selena and Amy harder, panting as I came closer to the edge. Amy tensed, her cries becoming urgent, a beautiful feminine sound that Selena complimented. She urged Amy onto a precipice, then over the edge, and I felt her whole body shake and jerk as she came. I held my breath and felt myself clenching and releasing in anticipation. I was right on the brink. Amy let out a long, shaky breath and subsided. Oh, babe. Selina could finally come up for air, and she flopped onto Amy, pushing me into the mattress. Oh, oh, I came so hard, 
and quick, Amy cried. That was all Beth, Selina purred. It was so amazing. She turned to me. I hoped you enjoyed it. I held my breath. Hmm. Stay here tonight? I nodded, still on the verge of letting it all go. Amy twisted around and looked at me. She leaned forward, her hair tickling my face, and rested her hand on my tummy. Beth, did you come? I couldn't speak. My whole body trembled with lust. Are you close? I nodded. Do you want to come? I couldn't answer. Lena, Beth hasn't come, and I feel bad. Selena leaned over me and kissed Amy on the nose. You're so sweet. She can come if she wants to. She turned to me. Would you like to? I did need to come so badly. I needed to get my boobs out too. And with shaking hands, I pulled my vest top over my head and threw it away. A fire consumed me now, and I could feel a tornado unleashing. I felt my pendant fall behind me and I lay back, my breast bared for the first time. Beth stays on in the small Welsh village where she met her supernatural lover, but will soon have to go back to university. She finds herself distracted by the other inhabitants who know of the ghost's existence and starts on a journey of self-discovery. When she gets to know her hosts better, things take a steamy turn. Can she find her true path when she doesn't know what she wants? The Age of Decadence by Faye Kelty. Over here, please, he said, indicating the floor before him. I walked over and he kissed me on the forehead before turning me and tying the blindfold over my eyes. I didn't know what he planned, yet gave him complete control. Whatever he decided, I knew I'd enjoy it. For a spell, nothing happened. I heard footsteps, then the door opening. I thought he had left the room, although it closed again seconds later. Footsteps approached me as unseen hands undressed me, piece by piece, until I stood naked. It proved a sensual experience, and I found myself getting more excited with every item. When I was naked, a hand led me towards the bed, pushing me on my back with my legs overhanging the edge. My body was caressed while my breast was sucked hard, then given a gentle nibble. The riding crop traced its teasing way around my other nipple, which grew firmer in response. My thighs were covered with tender kisses until I tingled with anticipation. A tongue made its way towards my pussy, and I enjoyed the sensation as it stroked and licked me. When it reached my pearl, it was a different technique from usual, the tongue alternating rapid taps with licking it as though it were a lollipop. The crop stroking my breasts combined with the intense licking of my pearl brought me to a climax. I lay, enjoying the pleasant afterglow, thinking it was time to ask the question that troubled me. That was delightful, although it wasn't you, Cluey T. Will you introduce me to the owner of this talented mystery tongue? A few seconds of silence were broken by laughter reverberating around the room. Other than Charlie, I heard an unfamiliar laugh. Correct, kitten, well done. You will be formally introduced later. I merely want you to lie back and enjoy the experience. I lay back loving the delight of two mouths sucking, licking and biting my breasts and two sets of hands stroking me. Now, kitten, attest. My friend and I will take turns in pleasuring you. You can guess which one is which. Does it sound exciting? Do you want us to proceed? I uttered a long, low moan and gave an enthusiastic nod. Every inch tingled as a cock pushed its way past my lips. At first, I could not be sure although I licked and sucked the head until I tasted a few drops of that familiar seed. 
It's you, Clutie, I mumbled with my mouth full. Correct. The cock withdrew from my mouth. My body was explored and stroked in a slow, sensual way, with occasional teasing slaps with the crop. Soft hands turned me, placing me face down on the bed. The paddle struck me with a powerful slap on my bottom, causing a long groan, making me tremble as the waves subsided. Strong hands spread my legs apart, and a cock slid between them, exploring my pussy and pressing upon my pearl. The head slipped inside me. I found it impossible to tell if it was noticeably different to Charlie's. It pushed in further, and I felt the shaft narrow. I opened my mouth to say the cock belonged to our visitor, but closed it, not wanting him to stop. The encounter was so enjoyable I felt certain I might climax any second and decided I should wait until the waves hit before speaking. I believe this is our intriguing guest, I said, breathless and tingling as the waves subsided. Very impressive. You are correct again. The cock withdrew and I heard some rearranging. Someone guided my mouth onto the cock of a man sitting on the bed. I took a long lick of the uneven surface and knew this cock was not Charlie's. The telltale taste of my juices gave the game away. It felt satisfying to discover I had been correct about the proportions. It was shorter and narrower with an enormous head. Exploring it with my tongue, I took my time before declaring my conclusion. Hello, I said, giving it a lick. Again. Another lick. Mystery. One more lick. Man. I took the entire head in my mouth again. Charlie's cock entered me from behind while I sucked and licked the anonymous cock before me. A perfect score. Congratulations. I adored the idea of pleasing two men at once, and I found it a powerful, sexy experience. The feelings set off by the man I loved thrusting himself inside me were delightful. After a few more enthusiastic sucks, the mystery cock stiffened and twitched as it shot its seed into my waiting mouth. I climaxed, grateful for the hands on my hips holding me as my legs became jelly. I welcomed the thrust signalling Charlie's climax, feeling sure I could not take any more. In one quick manoeuvre I was lifted, placed on the bed and kissed by lips I swear were Charlie's. A naive Scottish girl goes to London in the 1920s and becomes infatuated with the bright young people lifestyle. She wants the enigmatic Marcus to be her first lover. As they develop deeper feelings for each other, they must overcome societal prejudices that keep them apart. Alice Fraser is a young girl from Scotland who leads a quiet life in the countryside. However, her life takes an unexpected turn when she is introduced to London during the lively Roaring Twenties. She becomes acquainted with the indulgent lifestyle of alcohol, drugs, and casual sex. Ghost of Timor by Audrey Horne in a hotel room in Canberra, Jeremy tells the story of his exciting and steamy life to his former lover, Alison. As he shares the thrilling tale of the ghost of Timor after the Cold War, Alison's hidden desires awaken. Will Jeremy be able to rescue her from a boring life, or is he hiding something too? Alison handed her glass to Jeremy and then knelt between his thighs. She looked him in the eyes and, without breaking his gaze, took him into her mouth. She felt the warmth of his semi-soft cock in her mouth and tried not to smile. 
lest he slipped out at his reaction to her attention. His head thrown back and a quick breath in told her all she needed to know. The taste of her on him mixed with cum was a familiar one. She couldn't think of words to describe it. It wasn't something that she'd ever discussed with a girlfriend, though for any woman who'd done ever it, it must all taste the same. Tangy? Was that it? Maybe. But it was something that repelled you when weren't in the mood, but enticed you when you were in lust. And right now, Alison couldn't get enough. She rolled his firming member around her mouth with her tongue, tasting their exertions mixed with the gin. Not too bad, she thought. Still watching his reaction, she was almost oblivious to the moment that he hardened. The folds in his skin stretched out as he grew. She again wondered at the ability of a soft, shrunken appendage to transform into something so perfectly pleasurable and useful so quickly. When she decided he was ready, she released him and stood. Thank you, she said, straddling him and guiding him in. Why thank me? He asked in confused amusement. Alison took her glass from his hand and finished her drink in one go. I've always preferred a dirty martini. Minutes later, both martini glasses lay on the floor, their contents either consumed or soaking into the carpet. Alison and Jeremy had only smiled when the glasses fell without breaking. They were too busy right now to worry about extra work housekeeping may have to undertake once they had left the hotel. Alison was straddling Jeremy in the armchair, rising and falling in time with his thrusts. She did her best to bend down to kiss him from time to time, but she didn't want to interrupt the feeling of his lips, tongue and stubble on her breasts. That felt really fucking good. She supposed he could still rake his nails down her back and her ass, no matter where his mouth was, but at this point his tongue on her nipples was non-negotiable. And his teeth. The well-timed and random nibbles he was administering were the icing on the cake. She hadn't felt this good in years. That included the hour just past when he had taken her from behind, after she had seduced him with the promise of handcuffing herself to her hotel room chair. Fucking yes, she growled at him. She felt like some kind of animal spirit had possessed her as she gazed down at her prey. Alison clasped hold of Jeremy's head and pulled him into her breasts, demanding that he satisfy her need. This is getting good, she thought to herself. It is going to happen. Alison increased her tempo, not caring if Jeremy could keep up. She wanted to come right now. She fucking needed it. Rising higher to squeeze every inch out of him, she crashed back down along his length. Again and again, faster and faster. And then it happened. She rose just a little too high, and then she felt Jeremy pop out. But before she could think, she had come back down onto him. It must have only taken half a second, but it was just enough time for him to move. He hadn't moved, but he had. Alison instinctively recoiled to protect herself from the unexpected penetration, the sharp pain in her backside registering a nanosecond later. Oh shit, ow, 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 Alison cried as she realised what had happened. Fuck. Jeremy was confused by Alison's spasm and sudden change of demeanour. She wrenched herself upward and away from him in one swift move hovering above him and grabbing at her backside with both hands. Unbalanced on the armchair's cushioned seat, she staggered. She reached out with her right hand for the top of his head, the only stable thing within reach, and then climbed down onto the floor. Realising what had happened, he tried to inject some levity into the situation. You are out of practice, he said. Alison turned to rebuke him for the attack on her backside and now her reputation. 
But just as the anger was about to boil over into words, she paused. It hadn't been his fault and there was also no lie on Jeremy's face. Then she remembered. She had done this before. She had done it before with him. It had been 25 years ago in Bathurst. He stayed with her at her mother's house while the house had been empty. She had been planning her latest sexual milestone for weeks. A combination of Clio magazines and a game of doctor giving her the idea. She remembered she had carefully planned out the entire event with military precision, including the before, during and after. The only part she hadn't been able to expect was the feeling of him being in her bum. It had hurt a little to begin with, she remembered, but after a little while, the whole thing had been a fun experience. Anton J. Pierce is our special guest and latest star recommendation winning author. Here are his hot takes. I'll admit to being surprised by all three of the works that I got a chance to review this month. Um, Audrey Horn's When Jerry Met Ali is the one that seemed like the most likely fit for me, a sort of part memoir, part erotic political thriller with some very hot sex scenes. But I found that the pacing didn't really work for me, with way too much detail spent on things that I didn't find all that interesting. I'm sure it was just me. Uh, Forbidden Awakenings by Katie James is the second book in a series, and having not read the first, I wasn't sure that I'd get into it, but I loved the slow burn of the story and the well-written characters, both present and past. The sexual tension built slowly but deliciously, and and I'll want to read more of this author's work. If you wanted to design a book specifically to make me disinterested in reading it, you couldn't do much better than Faye Kelty's Roaring Twenties Loss of Innocence novel, The Age of Decadence. Oh, how wrong one can be. I absolutely loved it. It was hot, passionate, it was creative sex, great characters, terrific descriptions of everything. I loved it, and I'm looking forward to much more of that. So, Faye, get to writing. That was definitely my my winner for this month. We asked Angela for her thoughts about these books. Here's what she made of them. Forbidden Awakenings offers an intriguing premise and an engaging storyline, but it leaves readers with a sense of something missing. While the book falls into the erotic genre, it surprisingly lacks the unexpected prominence of steamy scenes that one might anticipate. The story itself is well-crafted and captivating, with a promising plot that draws readers in. The paranormal elements and forbidden love angle add an exciting layer to the narrative. The author's writing style is descriptive and immersive, making it easy to become engrossed. However, for those seeking an erotic read, Forbidden Awakenings may disappoint in this regard. The Age of Decadence is a novel that skillfully weaves compelling story within a decadent backdrop. While the book excels in many aspects, it leaves readers with mixed feelings due to its treatment of erotic scenes, which fall short of expectations. The writing in The Age of Decadence is undeniably strong. The author's command over language and storytelling is evident throughout the book. The narrative unfolds with a rich tapestry of characters, intricate plot lines, and a vividly described setting that immerses readers in the decadent world the author has created. The strength of this book lies in its ability to keep readers engaged and invested in the story. However, 
The novel's approach to erotic scenes is a significant point of contention. While the genre often thrives on sensuality and passion, the erotic scenes in The Age of Decadence come across somewhat flat and lacking the depth and intensity one might expect. This can be disappointing for readers who are drawn to this genre for its explicit and passionate content. Ghost of Timor offers a unique blend of storytelling that combines well-thought-out erotic scenes with a multi-layer narrative structure. While the book may not align perfectly with the typical expectations of erotica enthusiasts, it manages to deliver a compelling and intriguing reading experience. The storytelling in Ghost of Timor is a definite highlight. The author's ability to craft a complex narrative that weaves together different timelines and perspectives is commendable. This approach adds depth and intrigue to the story, making it a compelling read. However, it's worth noting that the switching of the story from person to person in different timelines may not be to everyone's taste, potentially turning off some readers. Where Ghost of Timor truly shines is in its execution of erotic scenes. These moments are well-conceived and skillfully written, catering to those seeking sensuality and passion in their reading material. The author's attention to detail and the chemistry between characters in these scenes adds a layer of authenticity and enjoyment. While the book may not align with conventional erotica, its unique storytelling and well-executed erotic elements may make it a captivating choice for readers looking for a, something a bit different. It's a work that could potentially benefit from a second read, as the intricate narrative structure may reveal new layers and connections upon revisiting. In summary, Coast of Timor is a book that offers a distinct blend of storytelling and erotica. Its multi-timeline narrative may be a challenge for some readers, but it also adds to the book's appeal for a potential second reading. The well-crafted erotic scenes make it a worthwhile choice for those interested in sensuality and passion in their literary pursuits. Even if it deviates from traditional erotica in terms of its narrative complexity, Time for the scores. Forbidden Awakenings is a 3.8. Forbidden Awakenings is a well-written book with an intriguing story. However, its limited emphasis on erotic content makes it difficult to recommend as a fully-fledged erotic novel. Chapter after chapter, you find yourself looking for the erotic payoff, which rarely comes. Some of the scenes seem forced. For instance, there is a scene where the women reveal they have all been sleeping with the same ghost. Instead of exploring the complex feelings and letting the moments breathe, this predictably becomes a lesbian scene. If you're looking for a blend of paranormal erotica with a lighter touch of sensuality, this book may be worth exploring. However, if you're seeking a more explicit and steamy read, you might want to consider other options in the genre. The Age of Decadence is a 4.0. The Age of Decadence is a well-written and compelling book that excels in storytelling and character development. It successfully creates a decadent world that engrosses readers and holds their attention. However, its treatment of erotic scenes falls short of delivering the desired sensuality and passion. 
There are a lot of erotic scenes, but the writing and description are far from imaginative, poetic, or passionate. In some places, the sex is just sterile, to be honest. If you're primarily interested in the story and can overlook this aspect, the book is still a worthwhile read. But if you're seeking a more provocative and explicit experience, you may find yourself disappointed with the erotic elements of the story. Ghost of Timor is a 4.0. Ghost of Timor is a book that presents an intriguing combination of storytelling and erotica. The multi-timeline narrative may prove challenging for some readers, but it also adds to the book's allure, making it worthy of a potential second reading. The twists and subplots are masterful as the reader is engrossed in the historic cliffhangers and the jealous nature of the love interest in the present. For example, there is a fantastic sex scene built around a pending Rest. Not only does it have you on the edge, but the characters in the book are also intriguing and compelled to hear about these accounts of her ex-lover with another woman. The skillfully crafted erotic scenes make it a compelling choice for those seeking sensuality and passion in their literary endeavours, even if it diverges from the conventions of traditional erotica in terms of its narrative complexity. So, who wins our star recommendation, you ask? In the past, we would defer to our guests in a tiebreaker. But on this occasion, we are breaking that tradition to consider which book has the better erotic scenes. And that's Ghost of Timor, a Jerry and Ali story by Audrey Horn. Both of these books are fantastic, but if you want a better story, we'd suggest The Age of Decadence. But if you wish to read beautiful pant-wedding erotica, it has to be Ghost of Timor. We'd like to thank all authors for submitting their books. The pleasure really has been ours. If you'd like to get your erotica book reviewed on our show, subscribe to us on X, formerly Twitter, and look out for our book request. If you'd like to hear our more critical, not safe for air reviews on these books, join us on Patreon for our secret podcast. Shh, extra filth. You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> Be sure to take some time to read and review these books for yourself. We are the Erotica Communities Podcast, so let's hand you over to the Erotica Community for some poll session updates. Remember, anyone can submit these, and the subject and format are down to you. All you have to do is keep the length of the audio you submit under 7 minutes. Hello, I am here with Catherine Hiller, the author of Sybil Unbound, one of my favorite books that I've been able to read, and I am speaking with the author for this month's Pulse session. Catherine, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks, Christian. Your book starts with 42-year-old Sybil getting a divorce and then following her erotic adventures for the following three decades. Why are the needs and desires of middle-aged and older women so often ignored in fiction? Well, I think there are a number of reasons for that, Christian. Um, when you have a romantic relationship when you're very young, 
it can lead to marriage and children, and it has a certain kind of consequence for your whole life. When you have a passion in middle age, it affects you in the here and now. Of course, that's what can make the passion all the stronger, that you're not having these other ulterior considerations, you know, clouding the picture. It's just how much love and how much desire do you feel for each other? So I think that's the great joy of writing about middle-aged romance. Absolutely. And I think what one of my favorite parts from your book is how we get to go along the journey of discovery with Sybil from mm -hmm. going to Burning Man to dating younger men to questioning adultery and polyamory. Do you think there's a expectation that women follow a more conventional path, particularly when they get older? Oh, absolutely. There is this idea, first of all, that an older woman should not have these sexual and passionate you know, urges, that if you feel that way after 50, 60, 70, you know, you're, you're just a sort of perverted old crone. And of course, the poor guy who has these sexual urges, and I assure you that many people I know in their 70s do, they are considered dirty old men. And this is this terribly ageist concept we have that only the young and the beautiful are entitled to sex. That's just crazy. We have passionate desires till the day we die. Absolutely. And I think there's the famous saying of youth is wasted on the young. Do you feel like people or women in particular um, evolve and change their relationships, their relationship to intimacy, to sex, to desire as they get older? And if so, how? Well, I think, I hope that we all change a bit as we get older, as we get more experience, as we get comfortable in our skins, as we know what we like, as we know how to guess what someone else might like. So I think that, you know, the mature woman or the mature man is perfectly capable of, of being a wonderful lover. For sure. A big part of the book's themes seems to be about thinking about different kinds of relationship structures, whether it's an open marriage, there's a kind of subplot about being an apologist for adultery, and just questioning mm -hmm. these kinds of um, ways that men and women relate to one another in America today. Can you talk a little bit about why you think monogamy fails so many couples, and what are some possible alternatives? Wow, that's a huge question, Christian. But there's there's some indication that in our past, when we were hunter-gatherers, we did not have monogamous structures. It was more like casual sex, casual eating, everyone took care of the kids. So before agriculture, it's quite possible that humans who looked like us and so on and just did not attach exclusivity to the sexual act. So that might be part of our nature. Other things are that, that we live a long time. And if we're lucky, we're going to be married a long time. I, for instance, am in a second marriage, which is already 24 years old, mm. right? My first marriage was 23 years old. Wonderful. And there was a gap in between, believe it or not. So we're all experiencing these longer relationships. And many people are saying that, you know, to expect 100% sexual fidelity from your partner may be expecting too much. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that we can be completely loyal to and tender of and respectful of your primary partner 
And still, maybe if you fall in love, you might have the occasional fling. And there is a sex columnist, I'm sure you know, Dan Savage, who has polarized the term monogamish. And I kind of love that because it's saying, yeah, we love each other and we live together and our futures are together. But, you know, maybe someone else might come along. For sure. For sure. No, Dan Savage is fantastic. I remember first reading his column when I came to New York over 30 years ago in the Village Voice. And it's just um, he has such practical, insightful, down to earth advice. He's great. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. One final question. Um, On the cover, there's a couple full of body paint. Is one of those people you? Well, part of that person is me. Yes. My (laughs) husband, Mark, and I uh, volunteered to get our bodies painted. We knew someone who knew the artist, Andy Gollum. And so we got painted. And of course, like anything else a writer does, she writes about it. So this was published in Huffington Post. And when my publisher saw it, she says, oh, I want that for the cover of your book, Sybil Unbound. And I said, well, yeah, except for not my face. That's I am not Sybil. You cannot do that. So we photoshopped another face. But you get my arms, you get some of my legs, and that handsome dude is indeed my husband. Fantastic. The book is called Sybil Unbound. It's available everywhere. We'll put the details in the show notes so you can get your own copy. It's fantastic. I've been talking here with Catherine Hiller. Catherine, thank you so much for your time and for just being a wonderful example of how to live fully and write about it with insight and humor. Thanks so much, Christian. I've really enjoyed this little tool. Thank you so much. Thank you for your contribution. Links can be found for everything you've heard in the show's description section. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. (laughs) We are eager to collaborate with more erotica writers to solidify our position as the leading podcast within the erotica community. We would like to extend an invitation to various writers to join us on the show and share details about their forthcoming projects, partnerships and thrilling releases from the erotica community. If you're interested in providing us with a brief on your exciting projects, please reach out to us via our Twitter handle. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> Don't forget to explore our amazing non-sign-up freebies on Patreon and our exclusive Shh! Extra Filth channel on Spotify. Next month, we are planning to have a Halloween special. But before we go, let's give you a glimpse of Derek Andre's awesome work in progress, Enchantress. Enjoy. Charlotte Teller wrote, At times I suffer from anxiety. Did you ever have a moment of immense panic and despair on your journey? And if so, do you recall how you managed to cope with such a situation? Certainly, but my relationship with fear was complicated. Anxiety was a constant companion as I approached people, often met with suspicion that veiled the cherished secrets they held. Yet, I marched forward with unwavering courage, comforted by the knowledge that I carried my Iris Moonstone amulet, a potent heirloom gifted by my grandmother. Crafted from the ruins of the Caledonian altar of Lundell, it held a rich history where our ancestors imbued crystals, stones and even weapons with profound magic. During the era known as the Purge of Shadows, Scotland saw a ruthless crackdown on witches and warlocks. 
though most perished, our clan endured, safeguarded by amulets forged by Borag himself. Morgan, a mere child, then received this amulet, passing it down through Agnes and generations until it came into my care. The amulet concealed protective and prosperous enchantments that gained notoriety throughout Caledonia. Its power was so formidable that when soldiers realised they couldn't dismantle our magical stronghold, they concocted rumours falsely claiming our alliance with those seeking to eliminate witchcraft from Scotland. The reality was our stronghold's might was insurmountable, exemplified by Borag's moonstone-encrusted battle-axes that proudly adorned our estate walls. Our clan moonstone amulets made even the most ignorant student of magic feel invincible. There isn't a place I'd be scared to go with it. Now that you understand the roots of my audacious nature, let me recount a tale from when my travels led me to Louisiana, a time when I lost the amulet and found myself submerged in unfamiliar waters. Before venturing to New Orleans, the Native Americans I met imparted invaluable lessons about discovering one's spiritual place to unleash magic's potential. However, they also cautioned me about the treacherous land that could choose to claim lives. The locale I picked rested precariously on the edge of a swamp, a humid, damp expanse swarming with mosquitoes. However, it was pretty secluded and perfect for moonbathing. The snug trailer I rented was transformed into a cosy haven perched high on sturdy stilts. Opulent surroundings weren't my concern. My purpose here was to delve into the enigma of magic. My Louisiana escapade had barely reached its third day when a growing frustration began to claw at me. The very foundations of my beliefs were crumbling. All those tales of mystical witchcraft I'd heard were nothing more than a tapestry of lies. Voodoo, the enchanting word that had danced through my imagination, turned out to be a mirage. There were no sinister rituals involving blood, no genuine sorcery to speak of. To make matters worse, the voodoo practitioners I encountered seemed to be practising some curious variant of Catholicism. The shock was profound. Could it be that everything I had held as truth was a facade? You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> Spirits for salvation, and then it came in the form of a woman. She swiftly scooped me up and gently settled me into her truck, determined to transport me to a place of refuge. I pleaded with her, my voice filled with desperation, to let me return home. However, she firmly insisted that the torrential rain had rendered travel perilous. The radio in the vehicle echoed her concerns, cautioning about imminent flooding in several areas, including my very own dwelling. My heart pounding, I voiced my determination to swim my way back home if necessary, only to be reminded of the lurking danger of alligators in those murky waters. Reluctantly, I succumbed to her persuasive words, allowing her to talk me down from the edge of my reckless plan. Tearful and defeated, I mumbled my unenvious predicament to this kind stranger— how I had provoked the wrath of Nazinga and the spirits she threatened to conjure. She reassured me that everything was going to be all right, and all I had to do was trust her. Just before panic threatened to take hold of me, her reassuring presence emerged by my side, a woman with short, twisted dreadlocks that framed her face like a crown of midnight. Introducing herself as Adina, or Eddie for short, she exuded strength and understanding in equal measure. Her eyes held a warmth that reached out to me, offering solace amidst the storm brewing within my soul. Eddie led me through the rain-drenched streets, her dreadlocks bouncing with every step. The scent of herbs and incense wafted from her home, enveloping us in a cocoon of comfort as we entered. The flickering candlelight danced on the walls, 
creating an otherworldly ambience that contrasted with the storm raging outside. With gentle care, Eddie prepared a potion, an African-American rootwork concoction meant to provide protection and cleansing. Her rhythmic chant was like a soothing melody, the cadence of her words dispelling my anxiety and replacing it with a sense of calm. Our conversation flowed like a river, each story shared, creating a bridge between our worlds. Raindrops tapped on the windows, as if in rhythm with our words, the city itself lending its voice to our conversation. Eddie's tales of root work and African spirituality intertwined seamlessly with the traditions of my family's Scottish witchcraft, painting a vivid picture of the unity that existed amidst the diversity of our practices. As we exchanged stories, the bond between us grew stronger, a testament to the ancient magic that resonated within our souls. Her unique style added an air of mystery to her already magnetic presence, drawing my gaze toward her with an almost gravitational pull. As she prepared another potion, there was a playful, flirtatious prelude as she teased about helping me apply it. Her fingers brushed against mine, igniting a spark of connection that sent a shiver down my spine. Placing the potion by my side, Eddie's eyes held mine, a silent promise of understanding and shared desires. Her voice, soft as a whispered secret, confessed her attraction, leaving the air charged with anticipation. The room itself seemed to crackle with energy, an embodiment of the magic she spoke of, a magic that thrived on intent, desire and the unspoken chemistry between us. Eddie's words about intent and magic resonated deep within me. She revealed that true magic wasn't just about words and ingredients, it was about the intent behind them, a philosophy that mirrored my own ethical stance. It was a synergy that bound us, our ideologies weaving a spell of connection that transcended words alone. With the cup in my hands, Eddie's gaze never wavered. Her words echoed in my mind as I sipped the potion, its flavours a delicate dance of herbs and potential. A surge of warmth enveloped me, and the air itself seemed to thicken with unspoken promises. The room held its breath as our lips met, a slow, tantalising kiss that seemed to draw on the very magic of the city around us. As the symphony of rain continued outside... The air within the room seemed to crackle with an electric charge, each droplet tapping in time with the drumming of my heart. Our lips still ablaze from the fervent kiss hovered millimetres apart, each exhale a wordless promise of what was to come. The atmosphere itself seemed to hold its breath, a witness to the potent energy that surged between us. Eddie's hands, warm and sure, embarked on a sensual journey along my jawline, leaving trails of fire in their wake. Her fingers deftly tangled in my damp hair, igniting a spark of longing that radiated from where her touch met my skin. The aroma of herbs and incense deepened, intertwining with the raw chemistry that enveloped us. With a tender urgency, Eddie's lips descended upon mine once more. But this kiss was different, slow and exploratory, as if we were tracing the contours of each other's souls. Our mouths melded, tongues dancing in an intricate choreography that mirrored the rhythm of the rain against the windows. I tasted the lingering notes of the potion on her lips, a heady blend of herbs and promises yet to be fulfilled. As the kiss deepened, Eddie's hands embarked on an artful exploration of my body, her fingertips igniting a trail of goosebumps that pulsed beneath my skin. Her touch was a symphony of sensation that rippled through me, setting every nerve ending ablaze with desire. 
Our bodies seemed attuned to an invisible melody, moving in sync as if guided by an otherworldly force. The candlelight cast mesmerizing shadows that danced across the room, cocooning us in an intimate world where only our desires mattered. The heat of Eddie's flesh against mine was intoxicating, each press of skin against skin, a proclamation of the hunger we'd held at bay for so long. My fingers, fueled by fervent longing, navigated the curves of her body as if discovering a treasure map. As our bodies converged, the outside world dimmed into insignificance, leaving only the sensation of heated bodies, the melody of our mingled breaths, and the intoxicating aroma of mutual craving. Time seemed to stretch and bend, allowing us to explore... You'll find much more Enchantress and access to our audiobook library on our unbeatable Patreon offer. Click on the link in the description. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to explore our amazing non-sign-up freebies on Patreon and our exclusive Shh! Extra Filth channel on Spotify. We value your feedback, so let me know how I rocked it. I'm excited to hear if you want me back next month. Until then, au revoir, connoisseurs! Connoisseurs!